I'm going to speak to you tonight. I'm going to kind of continue a little bit of my message from Sunday and add some stuff to it. And uh, for the children that are here tonight, I know there's a couple. Um, Pastor Drew has something really special and exciting for you on Sunday. So just have to wait till Sunday. But I'm going to be speaking to you tonight and continue my message from Sunday. How many of you are here on Sunday? Okay, a lot of you. Okay, great. So I don't have to do too much recap, but I want to add something to it that I feel like will help you. What I found with on Sunday, and this doesn't always happen, I wish it did, but it doesn't always happen. What I found on Sundays, there was a whole a lot of people that gave me feedback or, or folks that, that sent the feedback back to me that kept saying that the message on Sunday was for them. And so you're all right. It was for you, Okay. And how many of you felt that way on Sunday? And so, I, a bunch of people. So I felt like tonight I might continue on talking a little bit more. There's another story in the Bible that I want to talk about that will help you in your journey um, to not uh, feel overwhelmed or how to overcome feeling overwhelmed. And if you've ever been overwhelmed before, um, you'll know how, how difficult it is sometimes to see a pathway out of being overwhelmed. And maybe some of you here tonight are overwhelmed as I talked on Sunday. And so on Sunday, we talked about a couple things. I'm going to do a quick recap for you. And then I want to jump into this, this new story that's going to kind of add another element to how we process the idea of being overwhelmed, how we deal with it in our lives. And what does the Bible say? How do we walk out of that? How do we see, um, see uh, us not be, be uh, not our lives or our purpose in God set back because of us feeling overwhelmed? So if you remember on Sunday, I talked about uh, the the. In John uh, chapter uh, 15, we talked about the vine dresser and the vine, and uh, the idea of a vine dresser or somebody who takes care of a vine in a vineyard. And one of the scriptures that God talks about in that vine producing fruit is the idea that the, the vine abides in the branch. And uh, so the Lord was admonishing through the scripture the idea that, that we would abide in him. Abide means remain. Abide means to stay connected. Abide means to, to not change kind of your position, if you will. And so that's one of the really key parts of, of that scripture. And so we talked about that part. And of course, we started in Psalm 69 where we talked about, oh God, I'm overwhelmed. Save me. And I asked you guys, how many of you have ever been there? And most of us raised our hand and the rest of us were lying. That's okay. This is your chance tonight to get forgiveness. And then in Ephesians 3, um, I just, as I'm, as I, I want to make sure we recap this because this won't make much sense unless. And then in Ephesians 3, I talked about how Paul was writing and he was talking about us being overwhelmed or coming to the knowledge of the breadth and the width and the depth of God's love for us and how it will overwhelm us and overcome us and fill us up with the fullness of God. And so my advice to you on Sunday through the word of God was that when you're overwhelmed, not to allow that place of being overwhelmed to remove you from the soil that you've sown into. In other words, stay put. The key to, to seeing uh, that problem solved, as well, I give you the picture of the Titanic when you know folks were in those rooms and the tide was rising and the water level was rising and your lips were pressed against the top of the ceiling and you felt like any moment you were going to go under and our natural response is to look for a way out or to look for higher ground or to look for a way to save ourselves, but the biblical way to get out of that situation is not to get out of that situation. It's to stay put on the ground that God puts you in. 
And so one of the things we stressed on Sunday was the idea that there will always be another opportunity or what appears to be better ground or higher ground or ground that has less trouble and how easy it is to leave the, the relationship or leave the job or leave the ministry or church or whatever it may look like in your life to leave that for something else because we feel like, you know, whatever has happened in that situation has become maybe too difficult. And so one of the things I want to stress to you tonight that I talked about at Sunday is one thing I know about problems, that problems are always temporary. Amen? And so when you're in the middle of a problem and you're overwhelmed, don't allow a temporary problem to, to remove you from the place where you'll have everlasting blessing. Amen? And so the idea is we plant plants that bring continual residual fruit into our lives. As we remain and we stay and we feed that plant in our life, that, that tree, whatever it may be, that vine in our life, we see that grow and produce fruit after fruit after fruit. And so when we leave that place of everlasting blessing where we've sown and we've poured our life out and we've planted in that soil, we move to another soil. And this applies to almost anything in our lives that we, we pour our life into. Anything you can think of, your relationships, your jobs, whatever it may be. And when we do that, that we actually remove ourselves from the place where God wants to bless. And so that's where we kind of left off. That was my five-minute recap from Sunday. Was it, was it good enough? Did I get everything? All right. Seven minutes. So in John 15, we pick up another, I'm sorry, John 6, we pick up another story that I'm going to read to you. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. When Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, the Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. But Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? This is, of course, the story of the five loaves and the two fish. Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same thing with the fish. When they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Most of us here tonight have probably heard the story. If you haven't, I just gave it to you so you've got a good foundation, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit. It, to understand the mindset of Jesus and his disciples, you have to understand what was going on. In this particular scripture, Jesus is not on his way to the next meeting or next opportunity to minister to people or the next crowd. Jesus is trying to get away from the crowd to rest. How many of you know that Jesus actually rested? You know that? He actually took time to rest and he also took time to pour in and, and disciple his disciples. He would teach them and spend time with them. He wasn't always in front of a crowd. And so Jesus was actually trying to get away from a crowd he was just at. 
He was trying to get away. He was trying to kind of, you know, go somewhere where he wouldn't be found. Word had spread of the miracles that he was doing. Word had spread of the anointing that he had. Word had spread of the signs he was doing. And so it was hard sometimes to get away from the crowd because they'd find out where he was and they'd just begin to gather. It didn't matter where they were. They would gather because people were hungry. People were desperate. And they wanted to see this miracle worker. And so as he was trying to get away, the Bible says that a crowd began to follow him. They found out where he was. And they gathered to the tune of 5,000. Now we say, he fed the 5,000. And, you know, it's a Bible story. We put the felt on the little felt board in school, you know, Sunday school. And we say this, but it, can you imagine, five, this is 5,000 men. So by the time you add wives and children, uh, assuming that they were there, you're probably at 20 or 25,000 people who just showed up. Now picture this. You go away with your sweetheart. Now if you don't have a sweetheart, we'll pray one into your life, okay? You go away with your sweetheart. You've been working nonstop for a long period of time. And you decide, we're going to get away. We're going to go to Anna Maria Island. It's this nice little bed and breakfast there. We got a night away, you know, we're going to just relax and just enjoy uh, a time away from the kids or the job or the craziness. It doesn't even have a TV in the room. You can open up the sliding glass doors and hear, hear the waves crashing. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. We're going to get away. And you show up there and there's 25,000 needy people waiting for you to do something for them. Now, if this doesn't describe an overwhelming situation, not just for Jesus, but for his disciples, I don't know what does. And you really have to begin to look at some of these stories because if you read them too many times, you forget that these numbers were real. You forget that this actually happened maybe sometimes. And we forget that Jesus and his disciples were all, you know, human. They had human emotions and thoughts. And so they were experiencing the same thoughts that you and I would have, which is, I am tired. I'm exhausted. I want to get away. I want to rest. Who are these people? And what do I have to do now? And they were more than likely overwhelmed. You know, some of the times we're going to be most overwhelmed in life is when we feel like we deserve the biggest break. I don't know about you, but I have in my life, you have these ups and downs through life. And there's been some times where you've ha I've had a down and I thought to myself, surely the next thing that's going to happen is the Lord's going to pick me back up. And it seems like it's some of those moments where the most overwhelming stuff happens. When you're the most tired, when you're the most frustrated, and it's like the, the words that you never want to say is, what else could go wrong today? And I don't know how it happens, but something just teaches us there's more that can go wrong. And so if you've ever had one of those days or months or weeks or whatever it is, this is the kind of the situation. They're tired, they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed, and this crowd of people comes up and they're desperate. It's not like they just show up and they're like, hey, Jesus, the, the 20,000 of us, us 5,000 men, we, you know, we all walked from a long distance because we heard you were here and we, we tracked you here and we, you know, everybody told us you were here, but it's cool. We'll go home. It's all right. If you don't feel up to it. They were desperate. They wanted to be taught. They wanted to see the signs. They wanted to see the miracles. And Jesus, I love this because it's, it's so... It's a totally kind of a different message, but I just want to throw this out to you because it'll teach you about the nature of him. That's one of the best things you can learn in church is about the nature of Christ. 
the nature of Christ is he never thinks about himself first. And so he doesn't think about the fact that I'm overwhelmed and I'm tired and I need to rest. He immediately begins to think about the need of the crowd and the need of the people. He jumps right, he, he doesn't say, oh my gosh, these what are they doing, these 5,000 people? He immediately jumps over all the things you and I would go through in our mind, and he says, how are we going to feed them? In other words, I know they're going to be hungry, so how do we meet their immediate needs? It's also a really, to be honest with you, it's also a really good way for us to live as believers, because the first thing he did was think about their practical needs. And this is another message. He didn't immediately try to teach them what they didn't know right about the nature of God. or they, He didn't try to correct their theology. He, he, he waited to even go, go anywhere near that to meet their immediate needs. And that's why you hear people say, we're a frontline ministry, we're a loaves and fishes ministry. In other words, he says, I'm going to deal with their practical issue or problem first before I begin to actually begin to speak to their spirit man. And so that's a whole other message, but that's an interesting kind of thing we can carve out of this. But what I love about it is he says, listen, we got to figure out how to feed them. And he's looking to his disciples to see where they're at, how they're going to respond to this overwhelming need. Now, Jesus already knew more than likely what he was planning on doing, as it says here in John. It says he asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So he already knew what he was going to do. So he's testing. Well, what is he testing in the disciples? That's the question. What is he testing? He's testing how they're going to handle a situation, what their first response is to an overwhelming situation. And the reason he's doing this, and the reason he gives us a couple of different responses, is because he's trying to teach you and I that there's a right way to respond to overwhelming situations, and there's a wrong way to to, uh, respond to overwhelming situations. Now probably, if you're anything like me, you've probably mastered the wrong way, okay? Anybody? Okay, never mind. We're, don't, you don't have to raise your hand. It's okay. We don't want to be too truthful here tonight. We, we figured out the wrong way to respond to overwhelming situations, right? Some of us go on our shell. Some of us yell, scream, and throw things. Some of us, uh, you know, we just get uh, an attitude about it. Some of us just ignore it and act like nothing's going on or happening. Just like, oh, it's just fine. Whoa. The house is burning down. We'll get the, get the marshmallows, honey. If you know anyone like that, they're fun to be around. <laughs> now, I won't pick on my, my mom and dad, but they're, they're probably the two most polar opposite people when it comes to dealing with overwhelming situations. And a lot of their um, intense discussions, if you know what I mean, wink, wink, have come because there's, in this life, things happen that you have to deal with in process. And, and they both respond to it completely differently. And how, how they, not necessarily either one of them are right, but you know, it's different. Everyone's different. So I want you to see what actually happens here. Because if you look at Philip, now Philip, <laughs> Philip is uh, Philip is a interesting fellow. He's a Jew, but he has a Greek name. So his family was probably something like a Sarasota family. He was very multicultural. If you've walked the streets of Sarasota, you'll find out like everybody seems to have everything. You know, like everybody's just a melting pot. And Philip was kind of like that. But Philip's response to it was this. Philip's response was, where can we buy bread for all these people? Jesus, sorry, Jesus asked Philip, where can we buy bread for all these people? And Philip's response is, we don't have the money. 
It's going to cost uh, six months' wages or eight months' wages. Philip's immediately response is, is to assess the situation and to do what you and I do in the natural, which is we take our natural ability to understand a situation, and then we, we take, you know, we're like, we're, we're, not, we're just being realists. The reality is it's going to take a normal man's eight months' wages to feed this crowd, and I've looked in the treasury, Jesus, and we don't have it. And we can take that approach to overwhelming situations. We can decide, hey, like, this is the reality, um, Jesus. I've got about a week left, and I'm going to get kicked out of my apartment. That's the reality, and I have no job. So just want to let you know that that's what's going on. And that's, some of us handle it. We try to assess the situation. We try to take the most accurate picture we can. And we say, all right, here's the issue. Here's the problem. But Jesus didn't say, Philip, where are we going to get the money? Do you notice that? He never asked Philip, where are we going to get the money to buy the bread? Uh, Jesus asked Philip, Jesus asked Philip, he says, where are we going to buy the bread? In other words, Jesus has already decided, I'll take care of the money. You just find out where we can get that bread. Where can we get enough bread to feed all these people? So, f- come on, stay with me. Philip, it's very clearly here, Philip jumps right to the fact that we have a major hurdle to overcome. And if you are in the middle of an overwhelming situation in your life, and all you do is think about the insurmountable problem or odd or whatever it is that's keeping you overwhelmed, and I'm falling deeper and deeper behind in debt, or I'm this, or I'm that, and this is the problem, and I, this is the reality, and I, I, in order to be able to pay this off, or to do this, or to do this, I'm going to have to do X, Y, and Z, and I come up with this entire plan, and it's never going to happen, because I've got to make, I've got to make X amount of dollars, and my boss isn't even making that much money, it's never going to happen, it just doesn't add up, what are we going to do? You will never, ever, ever get out of being overwhelmed. And you'll never be able to see that tide slowly go down and you finally inherit the ground that you've you've sowed into. There's something to that. That's Philip's response. And you notice Philip's response gets them nowhere. They get no closer to addressing the need and getting out of this overwhelming situation by what Philip responds with. But it is probably the most prevalent natural response as human beings is for us to assess the situation. We feel like, hey, listen, I'm not freaking out. I'm not in denial. I'm not whatever. I'm taking an accurate picture of what's going on. I'm not being emotional about it, but here's the problem. We don't have that kind of money to do that. And then we switch over to Andrew. And Andrew's response is, is maybe a little bit better. Andrew, of course, is Simon Peter's brother. And Andrew's interesting because he, he was born in a little community on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and his father ran a successful fishing business. Andrew was a little bit more different. He was maybe brought up in a way that, you know, he was more of a problem solver than, than Philip was. So Andrew doesn't just think about the fact that we don't have 200 whatever it is, 200 gold pieces or whatever it is here, eight months worth of wages. He doesn't think about that. He thinks to himself, well, what do we have? What do we have to work with? And we're like kind of slowly creeping towards maybe a solution for you and I here, okay? Because it's a heck of a lot better than saying, this is never going to happen. We don't have the money. There's no way we can get out of the situation. So Andrew's saying, he's going, okay, well, maybe, maybe, uh, I think what he says here is, let me get it exactly. He says, um, he says, uh, well, 
here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. Well, in order for him to be able to find this boy, he's gonna ha- there's a crowd of 5,000. It's not like there's just a little boy that's tagging along with his disciples holding bread. This is his lunch. So he probably had to decide, you know what? Let me look around and let me see what we have to work with here. So his response is better than Philip's, but it's not necessarily what's going to help you and I out of the situation. Because it really is, we're really looking for somebody else to bail us out. Does that make sense? And so we go from, this is an impossible situation, and I've added it all up, and there's no way this is going to work, which is really bad, because you're just going to be stuck. Your head will be underwater before long. From that, we go to, well, maybe I can find somebody to bail me out of the situation. But it still doesn't require anything from Andrew. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that. Just make sure they're awake. Say, it still didn't require anything from Andrew. That was like four of you. Now, I'm going to be very sweet and kind to you. I know sometimes this sort of teaching, when we go... When we go step by step by step, some of you kind of zone off. But if you can stay with me and and let me get to the main point here, you're going to leave here with a battle plan to overcome when you're overwhelmed. And the next time you're overwhelmed, you won't be picking up the phone to call me, which it's okay. I, I appreciate that. That's wonderful. I'll do my best to help you. But you'll be calling me to tell me about how you were overwhelmed a week ago and how you remember the word that God gave you in service to get you out of it. Right? And for those of you that call me and say, I'm overwhelmed, I'm going to say, go back to, uh, let's see here, May 18th of 2016 and May 15th. I'm just kidding. So Andrew's response is different. Andrew's response is, let me find somebody that maybe has something that can get me out of the situation. And folks, we deal with that all the time here. We are inundated with people that walk through the doors of the church on a regular basis. And it is, I'm so desperate, I need to find somebody that will get me out of the situation I'm in. And a lot of times they're asking us to get them out of the situation. Sometimes we can and sometimes we can't. Depends on the situation. And that's another human response is, let me find somebody that has something that can help this situation. And it seems perfectly logical. If I'm drowning, find somebody with a life raft or a rope. But it's still not the kingdom response, the God response. We don't really find the God response until we find the third person involved in this equation. And that is the one that's never named. He's only referred to as the boy. Interesting, right? Has no accolades, no name, no mention. And actually, do you know, this story is in more than one of the Gospels. It's in Matthew. I know. I think it's in a couple others. I know it's in Matthew. And the Matthew account reads different from this because Matthew writes it from the perspective of trying to tell the story focusing on the miracle. But John writes the story focusing on the pieces or the people or the players that participated in the miracle. So you don't actually get this side of it from the Matthew account. Only this account do you get this side of it. But the boy, that's all we know him, is the boy. I feel like we should name him, you know, like Zach or Corey or something. The poor boy has no name. He performed this great miracle and fed all these people and doesn't even get a name, right? But the boy... He is the one that finally figured out what it is that can take an overwhelming situation and dump it on its head. 
And that is this. He takes what he has, no matter how insignificant or no matter how small of a bite it'll take out of the problem, he takes what he has and he gives it to God. All that words to get you to this point. That is finally where we find the recipe for getting out of a place of being overwhelmed. Where we do not despise, you know, the Bible says not despise the small beginnings, but I think we can actually apply this to this. Do not despise what's small and simple in your hands that begins to deal with the problem, but give what you've got to the Lord and let him figure out the rest. Because if your response is to say nothing can happen here, because I've looked at the problem, and nothing, can, and nothing adds up, or your response is, I gotta find somebody that's gonna help me, or if your response is one of the many other ways that we can respond to this situation, let me just find a different place to go because this isn't working here. The tide's rising and I just gotta get out of here even though I've spent 10 years of my life sowing into this soil, let me just get out of here, I'm overwhelmed, I knew this was a bad idea, this is a sign from God. If I hear more signs from God, Everybody thinks when something bad happens, it's a sign from God. Guess what? It's not a sign from God. It's called life. L-I-F-E. If you think everything that's bad is a sign from God, you're going to be, and I'm just going to coin this, spiritually schizophrenic. And they are out there. Seriously. I got a ticket on the way to work. I don't think I'm supposed to work there anymore. The Lord told me that, uh, you know, just like, this is the third time this year I got a ticket on the way to work. He just doesn't want me to go there. He doesn't want me to go there. He doesn't want me to go there. He wants me to go to another job. Do you have another job lined up? Well, no, but I know he'll provide one to me. Blah, 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 blah. Haven't you been there for 10 years? Yes. Aren't they getting ready to promote you to manager? Yes, but I know it's the Lord. I just, I'm just going to listen to him. You, if you think that's a joke, that's, that's, this is real conversations, folks. What do you mean? I just don't think I'm supposed to be with him anymore. Why? You've been married to him for 20 years. I came home, yes. He was sitting on the couch, yes. He had a bag of potato chips in his hand, yes. And he was watching Oprah. What man watches Oprah? I'm not supposed to be with him anymore. I'm like, not everything that happens is a sign from God. Especially if it's Oprah. That's never a sign from God. Unless she's given you something, and then it is a sign from God, all right? But, you know, we have to at some point realize that when God, you know, either God changes his mind a whole lot, and the whole, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forevermore scripture, which is, we're just, you know, taking it out of context, or we've got this wrong because everybody is moving this and that in their life because God changed his mind. And it's not just work, it's relationships, it's this, it's that. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have come to me and say, the Lord told me, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> well, you're the 10th guy he's told that to this week. The 10th, the number 10. So the Lord is messed up. He is really confused. You know, at some point we got to realize that the Lord is not schizophrenic and we're not schizophrenic and he actually has a solid, sound plan for our life, right? 
that we can actually we can actually fit into and we can say okay this this really feels like something I'm supposed to pour my life into I feel like this is where God has planted me and I'm going to stick it out We laugh, but do you know the divorce rate in the church is over 50%? And so, listen, I've seen people get divorced, and I, I, I would have divorced that person too. I mean, it was nasty. I'm not saying that every divorce, I mean, we, we, don't, we don't like divorce. We don't encourage people to get divorced, but there's some times where a relationship becomes so uh, abusive or whatever that it's irreconcilable, and the people decide to get divorced, and we're not there saying stay with your abusive spouse the rest of your life. But I'm going to tell you this right now. I've seen a lot of people that have lost relationship or have left a job or who've gotten divorced in this case, where you try to search, research back to where's the point that everything went wrong, and it's so silly and insignificant. And you're just thinking to yourself, like, for 25 years, you both poured your life into this, and then some silly things. That, I'm not talking about some big, momentous, you know, relationship-altering event. Just some silly thing happens. And then it's like, everything's downhill from there. And at some point, we have to realize that I've been putting these little seeds in this ground, and now I'm, I've, I've had this tree here for a while, and now I'm beginning to see blossoms on it, and I know the next thing is fruit, I am not leaving this until I see come forward what I put into the ground. And you have to literally get an attitude about it. You got to get stubborn sometimes about what you've sowed. I don't know why my calendar's up on my screen. Oh, because I was looking at the dates to tell you when to look back to listen to the sermon. Of course I was. So I love this because the little boy, his response to the whole thing is that so simple. He literally just says, what I've got, I'm going to give. Now, if we're looking at this from a natural perspective, we look at the amount of bread and fish he has and the amount of barley he has. They say roughly about three loaves of barley would be like a lunch. They're small little things, not big, giant, like French bread loaves or something like that. They're small. So they say about three Three um, loaves of barley is about somebody's lunch. So he probably had enough for like one and a half people here. And you've got 5,000 men and then all the women and all the children. And if you and I look at that and we're like, look at this problem, God. I've got enough to solve one 15,000th of the problem. Never mind, I'm just gonna ju- I'm just gonna give up. If that's our response, when all God sometimes is asking you to do is give what you've got. Are you with me? <laughs> to give what you've got. Take what you have in your hand and say, Lord, this this is really, really insignificant and small, but I'm gonna give it to you. You know, God is so richly richly blessed our capacity as a church to reach all over the city in ways that are just unfathomable. If you would have said 20 years ago, we'd be doing what we're doing today, we would laugh at you. And you know, you might think to yourself, oh, the miners, they're just, 
Oh, and people get up here and they just talk about thank you, the minor this and minor that. And we're flattered. Thank you for, that's, thank you for saying that. But I've got to be honest with you. The minors are not special. And if you say amen, I'm going to be listening and watching. Amen. You're allowed. You're allowed. And my mom and dad, although they're wonderful people, they're, they, they're not Harvard graduates. They, didn't, they weren't anointed and touched by Billy Graham to do this. They took what they had and we're still doing it today. Every morning that we get up, that I get up, that my family gets up, all we do is take the little insignificant thing God's given us. Now, it's not insignificant to him. It's great to him. He put it inside of you. But when you compare it to what you're trying to accomplish, you realize that it by itself is not going to make a dent in it. And so when we take that insignificant thing every morning and we say, Lord, I give you what I have. I know I'm in the middle of a mess. I know I'm overwhelmed. I know I, I don't know how to get out of this. And I know this isn't much, but I'm willing to give it. And I'm willing to trust you with the rest. And remember, we learned on Sunday, trusting means staying where you are and sticking it out and knowing that God is going to see the tides eventually recede and you reclaim the ground that you've sowed into. Now, either you're really thinking or I've bored you to death. I hope you're really thinking. Everybody got this tonight? We have so many opportunities for, to see these different responses. But if we really, really want to learn what God's having us say, the little boy said this. He said, here I am. I'll give what I can to solving the problem. Then I'll leave the rest to God. And do you know, even though that little boy never got a name, he probably showed us one of the greatest lessons we can learn in the word of God. And I've seen this looked at from a lot of different angles, but tonight we look at it from the angle of, here was an overwhelming situation, and obviously overwhelmed disciples. Jesus wasn't necessarily overwhelmed, but his disciples were. One was frantically looking for anything and anybody, and the other one was sitting there saying, we can't do this, we don't have the money, we don't know when we can't get ourselves out of it. I don't know if Philip talked like that, but I assume he did. I mean, you can imagine they were overwhelmed. And we find that the solution is in the hands of an unnamed boy where he says, I take what I have and I give it to you, God. And that's what I'm asking you to do tonight. That's what I'm asking of my own life. I'm not asking you to solve the problem or to pull yourself out of the situation or the overwhelming season of your life. And let me tell you, tonight, if you're not going through it, you're going to go through it at some point in your life. And when you're there, you remember, Lord, I'm going to give you what I've got. I'm going to let you make up the difference. I'm going to let you figure out how to fight. You know, the Lord's less concerned with your ideas than we think. He's really not as concerned with our ideas as we think he is. He just wants what you've got. And then he wants you to trust him. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's pray together. You don't even have to stand up because some of you look like you're going to fall asleep at any moment. <laughs> If you were listening to me on Sunday, you wouldn't feel so overwhelmed tonight. You see that? So, Lord, we just thank you tonight for this word. We thank you for this message. We thank you, Father, that you've given us a clear, clear pathway and solution to go from being overwhelmed and to go from feeling isolated and to go from feeling, Lord, like, like there's nothing that we can do or no hope to get out of the situation we're in. Lord, you've given us a clear pathway out. 
where we realize, God, that we're not going to be deterred or leave the soil that we've sown into. And Lord, we realize that the solution is to stay where we are, to abide in the vine, and to give you whatever we've got. And Lord, if we can do those two things, there is nothing, there is no situation, there's nothing that can separate us from your love. There's nothing that can separate us from your promises, Lord. There's nothing that can separate us from, Lord, the word and the destiny and the purposes that you've spoken over our lives. And God, as you've laid out the path before each and every one of us, God, we know that along the way, there's going to be times where we feel like we can't take another step, but God, you've, you've given us the solution to how to continue on. And it's right here, Lord. It's to stay and abide in you to stay put, to not leave the soil that we've sown on, and God, to learn to give to you what we have. So God, we determine our hearts tonight, each and every one of us, that looks different for every one of us, depending on what we're going through, what we have in front of us, whatever journey we're on. But Lord, speak individually to all of us that are here tonight, even now. Begin to show us how we can stay put and stand where we're at and whatever we're going through in our life relationship and work and in our, our in our faith experience in church whatever it looks like God and teach us Lord show us that what we've got although we think it's insignificant it is exactly what you want us to give and is valuable to you and that you can take it and you can turn a situation where we're overwhelmed into an opportunity for everlasting harvest we thank you Lord tonight you're showing us right now I thank you those that are overwhelmed, God, you're beginning to even now show them that there is life and there is hope ahead of them. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord tonight. I just want to let you know that um, my fa father's speaking on Sunday. I know you haven't heard him for about a, at least a week and a half or two weeks. So he's going to be speaking on Sunday, and um, we'd love to have you. Hey, this is an idea. Why don't you invite somebody for Sunday morning? Invite someone that maybe uh, you've been meaning to invite for a long time. I just feel like God's going to be here like crazy on Sunday morning, and it's going to meet some needs. And this is what I want to tell you. If you will invite somebody for Sunday... I will promise you this, Sunday morning, we will do an altar call, and we will give them an opportunity to feel God's spirit and to receive Jesus. How does that sound? All right? We'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you guys.